I want, you, I want to encourage you today to take your Bible and open it to the book of Ephesians. To the book of Ephesians. This is Ministry Fair Sunday, as you well know, walking in. And we have, as part of our philosophy of ministry, as you know, where it says that we exist to glorify God um, by exalting the Savior, by equipping the saints, and by extending the kingdom. And we like to say that certainly, and it's not just us, every church has a mission. Every church should be missional because the Bible is missional, because Jesus is missional. And so we exist to glorify God. That's why we're here. Our church isn't necessarily about you. It's not necessarily about our community. That's part of it. It, we exist in all of life, both locally, both individually, corporately, to glorify God. And we do that by exalting the Savior, both individual worship, corporate worship. That's our upreach. We do that by equipping the saints. That's our inreach. And we do that by extending the kingdom. That's our outreach. That is our noble purpose. And so this week, this Sunday, our focus is on equipping. It's not all we do, but it's an important aspect of what we do. You know, when you think about the fundamental purpose of the church in the scripture, it is crystal clear. The fundamental purpose of the church is the glory of God. Look in Ephesians 3.20. And if you're new to us, this is what the Bible says. He gets done with those opening three chapters, and you know that statement in 3.20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, here it is, to him, to God, be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. There it is. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. That's the noble purpose of the church. And when you track the argument of Ephesians 1, 3, 1 through 3, the, Paul goes to great length to describe how people are placed in the local church. They are called out, chapter 1, by the choice of a sovereign God, specifically the Father. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And then they were placed into union with Christ through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the one who forgives our sins in 1-7. Then we were placed into the context of a relationship by the Holy Spirit. So all the Trinity is at work in forming the people of God. And of course, Paul is writing this church. If you can go back to chapter, he's writing this book to a church, excuse me, in chapter 1-1 to the saints who are at Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians was written to a local church of Jew and Gentile that he had called out. And it leads to that end in 321, that to God be the glory in the church. In other words, the church exists to put the character of God on display. Now, how that glory is achieved 
And how you arrive at God being glorified in the church is what flows from the end of chapter 3. In other words, he's going to tell you how to glorify God in the local church. Look at 4.1. He begins there and says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He exhorts us to walk in a manner consistent, to walk in a manner worthy of the high calling that you've been called out from. And he wants you to, to walk in a way that pleases him And then you'll notice this, and I never want to miss this, that God's glory is achieved internally first before it's arrived at externally second. Say, why do you say that? Look how he begins in 4.2. He says, with all humility. Interesting. With all, he says in 4.2, gentleness. He says in 4.2, with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, for God to be glorified, the church must be unified. And so from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way down through 16, he's going to begin to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about the building of the body. He's going to talk about equipping the saints. He's going to talk about the work of the service. But all of that flows out of 321, God be glorified. And for God to be glorified in chapter 4, 1 through 16, it happens when there is a functional unity. In fact, look at verse 4. There is one body for four, one spirit. You were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's speaking and addressing the context of unity here. So for God to be glorified, the church must be unified. That is why it is so crucial that we have right relationships with one another. Certainly a family needs to have that unity. Certainly the body of Christ needs to have that unity. Now, that's not the only thing that he does. He, he, he gets to us what I call the DNA of our bloodstream. It's humility, it's patience, it's forbearance. But then you'll note, look at verse 7, just as a little backdrop. He said, but grace, do you see that? Was given to each one of us. Now, when you see that word grace, you're probably thinking in terms of salvation. He's not dealing with salvation there. He's dealing with the grace that God gives you in your spiritual gift. Grace was already given to you back in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace have you been saved. This is not salvation grace. This is serving grace. So Paul says there in 4.7... That grace was given, and you'll note that it's not just given to a few. The grace was given to each one of us. In other words, he gifted you, body, supernaturally for you to play a part in this church glorifying God together. I don't know another way to say it. When you got saved, he not only redeemed you by his saving grace, but in that moment when the He saved you and redeemed you and caused you to be born again, given to you at that time of salvation, was a gift. In fact, look at it again. Grace was given to each of us. 
In other words, you don't choose your gift. You were given a gift. And it was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. When Christ ascended on high, after his resurrection, after his ascension as he ascended, he gave gifts. In other words, he's provided the church with all that it needs. He has provided this church with all that we need. He gave gifts. But then you'll note, though, in verse 11, he gave a particular gift. And you'll notice again, you'll see that. It says there, and he gave the apostles. It says the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, or the pastors and teachers. So he not only gives grace to everyone by that gifting, but he gives here the apostles and prophets, their foundational, Ephesians 2.20, but he gave some, as it says right there, shepherds and teachers. Sometimes that word, we like to say it's hyphenated, that it could either be two roles, that he gave gifts to the church, that he gave a group of shepherds. He gave, in verse 11, a group of teachers. Some people like to hyphenate that, thinking that that's one office and not two. That's our focus today. Here's our focus. Look at verse 12. He gave those to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here is our focus. Now, let me just explain one thing to you there. In older versions, just a little technical piece here. In the older versions of the English Bible, there was an error in the translation that contributed to the church's blindness on this text. I mean, this text in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is, is really, in some ways, our go-to passage. This is a, a special day, but there was an error, and it involved what we would know in English as a comma. In fact, if you go back to the original King James Version, and they've now made some recent changes in this very verse, verse 12. But in that long-standing King James, it says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, for, they would say, the edifying of the body of Christ. And in that translation, God is said to have been given gifted men, which we usually associate with the pastors and the teachers, three things. Those men were given to perfect the saints, number one. Number two, to do the work of ministry. And number three, it was to build the body of Christ. And if you translate it in that way with the comma there, then you have, and I'm going to just use this phrase, the paid professionals doing all the work. In other words, he gave gifted pastors and teachers, okay, to do all three of those. To equip the saints, to do the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, what they were saying in that older translation is they have all the gifts and they are to use them to do all the service. And the members of the church have no other duty than to quote the 1906 um, 
encyclical, the papal encyclical, it says this, of letting themselves be led, the people, and of following their pastors as a docile flock. (laughs) In other words, those guys do all the work. But there's no comma there. You say, well, Scott, how do you know there's no comma there? Well, Well, there's no commas in all of the Greek language. So translators are trying to figure out where do these prepositional phrases meet? And so they place the comma after the perfecting of the saints so that in that old King James translation, they had me and the pastors at this church equipping the saints, doing the work of service, and building up the body of Christ. But truly, as all the major revisions went into place, the comma was eliminated And without that comma, the passage says something entirely different. Instead of giving three tasks to the pastors, it says there that it gives one task to the pastors and the teachers to equip the saints, and it gives another one to the members, which is the work of service, and as a result, both fulfill their proper God-given function, namely that that third clause would come in, that the body of Christ may be built. That's enough for the technicality. Let me just draw you into this text in verse 12. And what follows is let me just articulate those three successive stages of a biblical philosophy of ministry. Each stage is successively dependent upon another. And each stage moves toward the ultimate concept at the end of verse 12 to the building up of the body of Christ. So if you watch the flow, it goes like this. His glory is the purpose. That glory is achieved through unity. And when unity is achieved, then you'll know it this way, when the body of Christ is built up. Very well. Here's the first stage. Look at verse 12. Here's the first stage. It says to equip the saints. Stop there just for a moment. To equip the saints. In other words, he's telling you in verse 11 that he gave some The shepherds and teachers, those are the elders here. He gave some to do that. Not all are shepherds, not all are teachers, but God's composed this body by giving this body gifted men and placed them in this church. And their role here, right flowing out of verse 11, is to equip the saints. You say, what does that word mean? It's a great word, the the ideal of equip it means to make complete. In other words, something's not complete. And these gifts to the church are to to make complete. It's the idea of, in the word equip, to restore something. In other words, something has lost its clarity. And and these men are to restore. The, The ideal of the word is to be fully equipped. In other words, to be outfitted for something. In fact, you could even say that the purpose of those gifts, just in verse 11, is to prepare the saints, to equip the saints very well, to make something fit for use. In fact, the root of that word equip means to unite something. It means to bind something. In other words, it tends to fragment. It tends to loosen. And to equip something is to unite or bind it together. In fact, often that binding of something is something that was broken. 
something that was defective, something that is unfit, something is not working properly. I stopped by a guy today in our church and I said, I don't know what happened yesterday, but I'm out on the Kings River doing one of the things that just gives me great joy. I bought this old jet ski. Sometimes I just get out on the Kings River and I, you know, and don't tell anybody, if you see me out there, when I first get on the river, I might be screaming like, ah, you know, and I just go as fast as I can. I think I might have sucked some sand up yesterday. And it just doesn't work right, properly. I, I mean, smoke's coming out of the back. I, I really don't know what happened, but something's wrong with the engine. I probably sucked sand into it. It's not working the way that it's designed. And so that thing needs to be equipped. It needs to be outfitted. I need to get whatever the problem is out of there so that it's going to work in its, in its proper way. Listen, here's that word here. You've got saints in the life of this church and something is broken or defective and unfit and it needs to be repaired. In fact, what's interesting, I don't want to go too far on this. That word, it's, this, it's, the, it's a Greek word, it was used in biblical times to the setting of a broken bone. In other words, you break a bone, you go see an orthopedic surgeon. That orthopedic surgeon is going to adjust your bone. He's going to put it in, back in place. If you break your femur, which is not an easy break, he's going to place that femur back. If you break your arm, if you break your elbow... I think I've shared with you before, I became very good friends because of my boys with orthopedic surgeons when uh, they were growing up, especially Kyle, my son, who now is going to be an orthopedic surgeon. It's just funny how that works, isn't it? He's in medical school. In fact, uh, he's on his way to do a round there. But if, if you break something, you need to fix something. That was what the word, you'd get casted, that that limb, if you will, would be restored. It would be perfected. The other way this word is mentioned, and I'm just trying to help you understand this, is it was used in biblical times in Mark 1.19 for the mending of a net, a fishing net. So obviously, if you're out fishing and you got a hole in your net, and the fish are going through the hole, you got a problem. So they needed to mend that net. They needed, you understand, to repair that net. They needed to sew it up, if you will, so that the fish wouldn't be coming out of what the fisherman was doing. In fact, you want to know, let me show you where it's used biblically. That's just physically how the word was used. Look back just a couple pages in the book of Galatians. I think you'll understand this and see it come out. I don't want to spend too much time here, but it says, brothers, you know that one in one. If anyone is caught in a transgression, so there's sin there, you who are spiritual, you see that in 6.1, should, and here's our word for equipping, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I think you get that. You've got a brother or a sister in sin. And you who are spiritual, you are to go to them and you should restore them. You should equip them. You need to get them back functioning in the proper way because they were caught up and they tripped in a transgression. That's the word. Can I show you at one other place? Look over at 2 Corinthians. Just go back a few books there. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to show you where that word is used as well. 2 Corinthians 13. And uh, you, you remember there he... Uh, he gave them a warning, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. Paul even says, I warned those who sinned before and for all others 
And I warn them now while absent. In other words, he's warning them of sin. How big was the warning? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. So much that he said you need to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. You need to test yourself. Sometimes a believer gets tripped up, Galatians 6.1. Sometimes the warning is so strong that you'll be left to wonder, is this person in Christ? And so Paul said, I want you to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. And then this, in 2 Corinthians 13.9. He said there, for we are glad when we, he says, when we are weak and you are strong. Here it is. Here's that word for equip. Your restoration is what we pray for. In other words, these saints in the body need to be equipped. Sin gets in the way. And so they need to be mended. They need to be restored. They need to be completed. Now, go back to Ephesians just for a second. Because I'm going to answer this question. And this is a big question. How is this quipping accomplished? How do you actually do that? I mean, that would be the big question, especially if you're in ministry, especially, you know, if you're being prepared for this. How do you do that? It doesn't say it exactly, but it's there. It's right there in verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, then the evangelists. Those are the missionaries of our day. And then he said the shepherds and the what? The teachers. In other words, it's built into the etymology of that word. As those gifted men pastor, as those gifted men teach, they by their pastoring, they by their teacher, doesn't only have to be an office bearer, you may be teaching in an equipping class right now. What are you doing? You are preparing saints and you do that by the teaching of the word of God, okay? The role of these teachers, the role of these shepherds is to equip, is to restore, is to outfit the saints to service. Now, how do you do that? You do that two ways, by feeding the flock and by leading the flock. You feed the flock the word of God. You lead the flock by wisdom and guidance to the green pastures. I don't really think it's that difficult to understand, but I would tell you that most pastors probably don't do that. Most pastors are probably doing a lot of other things than what they're actually called to do. And when you begin to mess up with the divine purpose of why God gave gifted men, you'll begin to see the church not function properly. So all of this needs to be in order. So the feeding and the leading as the word of God... Because it's the word teach, it's the word pastor. What does a pastor do but get the people to the green pastures? What does a teacher teach? Obviously, he or she, in a women's context, teaches the word of God. As they do that, it mends and prepares and unites us for the work of service. So God and Christ gave gifts to the church leaders to equip saints to prepare God's people to enable them to serve one another. That's the first stage. Let me go on. That's the equipping of the saints. Now, who you're equipping is the saints, okay? But there's a second stage here. It's called, look at 412, the work of service. And this is not the responsibility of the leadership team. It says to equip the saints 
And the saints are equipped, it says here, for the work of service. That's you. That's your role, okay? In other words, the service then, the work of service, is the divine privilege of those who are in the family of God. That's you. In other words, ministry is not designed to be done by the paid professionals. I'm just, I don't like that word, but I'm just being clear. You say, why would you want to be clear there? Because listen, the, the men that serve at this church, how can I say this? Aren't here to do all the work, and, and we're not. We've been commissioned in that sense by the elder board to prepare you, the saints, so that the saints would do the work of service, okay? Service, listen, beloved, is designed by God to be done by the people of God for the glory of God. But most churches aren't structured like that. Some churches are structured in the way that I described at the beginning. The shepherds do all the work of service And as they do all the work of service, somehow the body is built up, and that's wrong-headed, okay? What it should be is that the pastors, the teachers, the shepherds, okay, are preaching and teaching the Word of God, and when that happens, the saints are equipped, and when the saints, you, are equipped, you do the work of service so that when I do what I'm supposed to do and you do what you're supposed, you're supposed to do, the body of Christ is built up. We are to prepare you for the work of service. Now, you're going to ask that next question. Scott, in 412, what is the work of ministry or literally the work of service? What does that mean? Okay, I'm being equipped. Equipped for what? To to serve. Okay, I'm being equipped to what? It's a work of service. I would just say this. It is a very, very broad word. Work of service. In fact, in the Bible, it's even hard to pin it down. In other words, work of service is so multifaceted, it could be a plethora of things. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, there is a variety of services but one Lord. There's just... A variety of them, but one Lord. What's interesting is that word for service is used 66 times, and two-thirds of the time, it has to do with a, of the physical meeting of a need. So I don't want you to think more spiritual than you should, okay? Like, don't think, gosh, what, what Scott's doing here is important, and what I'm doing, no, not at all. You might have got up early and pulled all the things out of the warehouse to get us set up for a beautiful ministry fair. And somehow all of it works. The preachers should preach and teach and study. And, and then there's a host of a work. You say, what could work a service could be? It could be counseling. It could be showing mercy. It could be hospitality. It could be caring. It could be sharing a meal. It could be evangelism. You name it. It could be feeding the hungry. It could be the making of a meal. It could be the visiting of a prisoner. It could be giving relief money to somewhere in the scriptures. There's all these different things. Let me just tell you, I got a text last night. I mean, what would you think about this? Steve and Bonnie, Steve had a heart procedure. I couldn't go. We're getting ready for this. The staff couldn't go. He was in Santa Clara, so he's not here. And somebody last night from our body drove all the way to Santa Clara to pray with Steve and Bonnie after he came out of the surgery and brought Steve and Bonnie a meal. 
listen, that's the work of service. I think sometimes we think that it's, it's spiritual and then what I'm doing is not. No, that is the work of service. Now, often this work of service is connected to your spiritual gift. Look back at 4-7 uh, sometimes. But grace was given to each one of us. Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know it? And, and usually it's connected. So here's the stages. The pastors, teachers equip the saints. As the saints are restored and equipped, they do the work of service. Now there's a third and final step, and we're all done here. The most important, though, I think in the text here, it says, for the building up of the body of Christ. Here's the climactic result of the previous two stages. All that has been done has been spoken with the idea of the goal of building up the body of Christ. The flow would look like this, beloved. I'm trying to encourage you this way. As the leadership team, the teachers, the shepherds, both to men and women, teach and equip our saints, the saints then, out of health and restoration and outfitting, do the work of service. And when the work of service is done, you can see it there. It leads and results in the building up of the body of Christ. So here in the New Testament, the entire church is set forth to do the work of service. This is in the New Testament what we call the priesthood of believers. This is what we call that every member is in ministry. And so we're asking you today, we want you to be and serve somewhere. You say, well, what happens when the body is built up? I can show you. Look at the text. Verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And it's not, it's unity of the faith. Definite article, once and for all delivered to the saints. There's a unity of faith. Like I just think like our church, I would just say there's a, <laughs> there's a unity of the faith. We're not struggling here. We're not sure, unsure what the Bible teaches. We're sure. We have a doctrinal statement. We have a, we have a unity of the faith. We're not arguing with each other. We're not competing over doctrinal issues. And part of that is just the health of our church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Look at verse 13. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's the goal. The goal is that God would be glorified. The goal is that the leaders, men and women, equip the saints. When the saints are equipped, the work of service is done. And when the work of service is done, this body of Christ is built up. And when this body is built up, we look and talk and think and act like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the goal. We grow up into maturity. What does maturity look like? It looks like, verse 13, the fullness of Christ. And when you're like the fullness of Christ, look at verse 14, that we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him, who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body, watch this, watch the language, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's each of us, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And I love that little phrase, it's growing in love. There's the thought. And so here, there's the stages. Can I just tell you about a church I've been reading about I've been listening. I just thought, can I just give you an example of a church that's trying to put this 
into practice, okay? I mean, I'm just, I'm giving you a concept. Let me just see if I can tell you about a church that as I put my ear to the ground, as I listen, as I watch, as I observe, I want to tell you what's happened in the life of this particular church just in the last couple of years, okay? Last probably 18 to 24 months. A couple of guys in this church had a passion to start a father-son ministry teaching young boys both in the Bible and in practical skills. And so they just started this in a church. In this church, women had a burden to start a ministry for a women's Bible study. They, they wanted to take the women into some of the deep things in Scripture to pray, to study, to rally together, not just gather together in fellowship, but to study the Bible. And some women did that. It started. It had a vision. It's going. At this church, kind of like our church, they built a, a building. And rather than staffing that building with paid staff, three men in that church, guys that are in the community, stepped up to assist that effort. One man in this church took the oversight of, a phys- of the physical building. Another man took the oversight of the outside grounds. And then another man took over the repairs on the inside of the building. Amazing. This church, similar, um, needed to kind of furnish out some of the rooms. And so there was a, a decoration team. A, women, a group of women began to put decor in the rooms, we'll call it, of furniture and toys so that those children would have a place to learn and it would be a place that they would want to come and it would be a place that was fresh and new. In this same church, I just kept reading, two girls went on a high school missions trip in this church and they went out to reach out to students in a third world country and they came back and they said, hey, if we can reach out to junior high girls as high school girls in a third world country, why can't we do that here? So these two high school girls begin to pull junior high girls in here at this church in the States and begin to minister to them. In this church, a retired teacher took on repair work using his hands, using his mind, using his life skills to assist people in the church with repairs. And it all began with the help that he gave to a widow who needed a few repairs after the death of her husband. This guy just stepped up. He just started fixing things. Women in this church recently began to read, this just just last couple years, some great Christian books and fellowship together. What was cool in the life of this church is some businessmen, not pastors. You can see I'm trying to minimize me in, the, in that sense because it's, it's the activity of the people. Businessmen started a ministry. They started a nonprofit. They started it in another country for the purpose of spreading the gospel. And just recently, that new work baptized nine people, and the work has begun there. Another man in this church that I'm reading about and hearing about made it his ministry to reach out to families, to those who have young adults who are struggling with addiction. And he spends hours pursuing others so that reconciliation can take place and so sinners can be restored to the life and health of the church. It's just, I'm just reading this. And then the church began, this church began helping an addiction ministry center a few years back. The last two years in this particular church, over 50 men have either shared their testimony or taught at this addiction center. 
Then the church took on a new missionary the last year who actually serves in the Middle East in a predominant Islamic country where he shares and the church shares the good news. And through this ministry, lots of people have come to Christ through this local church in the Middle East. I mean, and I could just go on and on. One man in this church came in to this church really tired, kind of burned out on pastoral ministry because he was doing everything instead of the very things that he should have done. And he was tired and discouraged. But as he came into this church, he was, he was refreshed and he was called back by the Lord to serve in another ministry. And he began to work in hospitals. This church began to see a need for college students and they started a new college group to reach out both to the students in the church and to reach out where this church is in its community to hear and allow the gospel to be heard both here and on these campuses. In fact, this church is in the process of starting a newlywed ministry for fellowship, encouragement, and all of this is just in the last two years. Amazing. All of this, most of this, was led by the people in the body of Christ and not the pastors. Amazing. Say, where is that church? You say, man, I want to go to that church. And uh, the truth is, you're sitting in that church. This is our church. This is what the Spirit of God is doing in this place with the people of God. For the glory of God. You're in that church. This is, I'm not giving you the 10-year history. Some of this has just happened in the last year. I think I tried to be fair to say it's the last two years. It's your church. And I just say glory be to God. You say, well, Scott, why did you tell me that story? Here's why. I didn't tell you the story to look back. I told you the story to look ahead. That's just the last two years, and it's going to be reflected when you get outside. I told you that to challenge you, to ask you for the future generations of this church and for the glory of God, that we would be all that we should be. You say, Scott, what's next for us? That's hard for me to say. You know why? Because it's a work of this word of God by the Spirit of God, in the life of the people of God, for the glory of God. It's a work of the Spirit, so it's hard for me to say. But I'm wondering this, if I could share this. Do we have any women in here who want to go help at the women's prison ministry? I'm just asking, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to give like a guilt thing on this. I think we have one woman that goes out there. Wouldn't it be neat if we had an army of people? How about the evangelism in our community? I think it happens individual. All of us are getting chances to share. But corporately, if, if you had a heart for that, we've got an apologetic class going right now, but what could be done in our church for evangelism? Any of you have a heart for something more intentional on our junior high and high school campuses? You know, it's an epidemic, the amount of people that contemplate suicide today. Is there anything we can do to help and assist and come alongside? And there's some good things. I'm just trying to, I just started to write a few things down. How about any of you moms with young children? Do we have anything going on here for young moms and young children? I have a Bible study going, which is awesome. And some of that happens through that, but maybe we need to be more intentional with that. I don't know. 
How about our Hispanic outreach? It's been a passion since the church started. Maybe a ministry to the older saints. How about this one? A prayer team. Any of you want to start a prayer team? (laughs) Listen, we want to equip you, but we want you to do the work of service. And listen, you say, well, Pastor Scott, it's not on here. It's not what you're saying. I have a heart for this. And I probably would say, go talk to Dom and then go start it. If you see something we're not doing and it's on your heart, then do it. Listen, I'm going to say this. The more we value equipping the saints, the more uncomfortable we are with comfortable attending. Okay, comfortably attending. Say it again. The more we value equipping the saints, the more uncomfortable we are with comfortably attending. In other words, the more this becomes part of our passion, the more we're going to say every member ministry, every member you needs to be engaged. You say, well, Scott, um, I'm not quite sure what what it would look like. I don't know. Then get connected somewhere. Go out there today. Go visit one of our tables. Go visit one of our ministries. Maybe some of you need to step up and go to the membership class so you know what our church is about. Maybe some of you need to step into one of our equipping classes so that we can build you up. Do you see why we call those equipping classes? We're, we don't call them Sunday school. You can call them Sunday school. It might be a semantical word. But our class is everything we do with your children, okay? Everything we do with your, you as adults is to equip you to do the work of service. Because I so believe that you're supernaturally gifted that apart from you doing the work of service, our body isn't going to be what it needs to be. And listen, maybe you've come and maybe you're three months here, six months here. I'm just saying we need you. We need you somewhere. Every member should be engaged somewhere. And when you leave today, you're going to see 22 ministries out on the patio. Go take some time to look at them. Go take some time to interact with people. Go take some time to stop by the women's ministry or the prison ministry or the evangelism table. And, but we desperately need you and want you. And I just, I just want to tell you this. My heart is so encouraged. Like, like I would say this to you. I told my wife today, you know, that our church is getting bigger. I, I can't even see all that goes on in the life of our church, which is good. In other words, there's things going on, taking place. That new college ministry is going to start today. We believe we have a number of college students that are staying here now. And we want to work with them, equip them so we could be on the presence of college campuses for the gospel. There's a host of things out there. I'll let Dom tell you more about that.